Three, two, one. <sighs> Howdy, sluts. Welcome to QBT. I am Maddie Germs. <laughs> I'm Shawnee. Um, how's that beverage over there, girl? I love a Montucky. It's got the... Oh, it's not one of the rainbow ones. That's fine. That's fine. They, they We canceled Pride this year, so they said fuck it. Um, we are a podcast talking about mental health, pop culture, and whatever the hell else we want. You ready to get started, Mama? I am. Good! Trying to talk slick, all up in my ear and shit. <laughs> wow, girl, I think you you managed to lift my spirits with the the crack of that hand. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. I'm glad that happened. I was not expecting that. Thank you for putting a smile on my face. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. I'm happy to see you. Happy to see you too. Um, so speaking of rainbows, okay. <laughs> how's your Pride Month going so far? Um, I honestly have been doing a lot of reflecting with myself and then with other people about our episode last week. I think that, um, it brought up a lot of good conversations with people, both from like the DM side of us talking as QBT and then also just within my personal network about what I've been thinking about in relation to that question in some ways, you know, and I am excited that I'm not really thinking about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm excited that um, for the first time in forever, I am not going to have to like come home at like four or 5 a.m. and then try and have a mildly coherent conversation with my father for Father's Day, like <laughs> four hours later or like that morning you know what I mean before I go to I bed never thought about it but like why why would why would Father's Day and Pride happen in the same month it just feels like a bad idea it's rude and I know <laughs> I know for a fact my father has hung up that phone and been like they're fucked <laughs> like they are fucked up right now um but in other ways I think that um kind of tying to the homework that we had about you know, how are we showing up for Black Lives? I think that my Pride celebration has been this continued engagement, both both online and then my involvement, which I've decided for at least the moment is to remain local. So paying attention to um, the Portland police budget vote that is coming up. I, I, I think that they uh, postponed it today because basically there is like about... Um, I think it was like between 15 and 20 million cut from the budget, which is like good. And uh, you daily, and I think a couple of the folks were like, our constituents are saying 50 million minimum. So I'm voting no, not because I don't support this, but it's not 50 million. So performative or not, I am kind of excited by the momentum. I'm excited by the kids that are out in front of the justice center. And I've been with them a couple nights this week. Um, that have been there since day one and are continuing to stay pressed. Um, seeing Portlanders take I-84 was fucking awesome. That feels like pride to me. You know what I mean? I yeah. feel pride in that. Um, how about you? How's it showing up for you? Uh, I don't think it is. I don't think it has. Yeah. Honestly. Um, I've been in a bit of a hole lately. So, I mean, I don't know. I also haven't been on social as much 
as I had been. So I don't know. I've kind of just been over here being a little hermit. Um, So I'm celebrating pride by not celebrating pride. (laughs) I don't know. That's what's going on with me, though. That's totally fine and makes a lot of sense. And I'm glad that you were able to, like, take a moment away in the woods or, you know, desert. Where were you? You were in nature. I was in the woods. I was in the woods. Yeah. Good. <laughs> I was in Sisters, Oregon. If anybody knows where that is or has heard of it. Oh, yeah. um, you know, it was a little weird because driving out there, I was by myself. I did not bring my dog. Mm-hmm. So, and that, I don't know the last time I went on a road trip without Blue. So. It's, it's nice. It's nice. It, it is nice. I was like, oh, wow. There's, I don't have to pay attention to this guy and make sure that he's not, you know, killing something. But. Right. Um, driving out there by myself initially was great. And then it turns into a bit of Trump country out there. Right. You see signs and this, that, and the third. And I was just like, oh, okay. And then I had to run to the um, store before I got to where I was going. And the whole time I was just like, I just feel out of place. I feel like these people haven't ever seen a black person before and definitely not a black person with blonde hair. Right. Um, so yeah, that was a little off-putting at first, but I went out into the woods and was just there. So once I was like away from people, I was a-okay. Um, and then I went on a hike somewhere. It was really windy and I saw some really pretty mountains, I guess the sisters, uh, the three <laughs> sisters. And mm-hmm. then- There's a few out there. Yeah. I came back home after that. I, I proceeded love- to lay on the couch. <laughs> Good. Good. I love that for you. I'm happy. And I'm- I almost asked how the homework went for you, but you are a Black person to show up for a Black person. So that's a stupid question. <laughs> I love oh, you. Yeah, <laughs> I'm still out here answering some of you white people's silly ass questions, but it's okay. God. Oh, God. No it's more fine. silly questions. But speaking of silly <laughs> white people, J.K. Rowling is continuously transphobic. What the fuck? What the fuck? I, I mean, she is just... She dove right in. She's like, this is just me. This is what I'm standing behind. And I thought at one point we were going to get an apology from her. No. Leaning into it, honey. Well, I mean, this is, I mean, in case anyone, I feel like I unfollowed her years ago for the fact that she has spouted this shit for years. And it's, uh, she talks out one side of her mouth, which is like, I believe that trans people are people and they can live a happy life or whatever. But if you're a trans woman, don't you dare say that you have any understanding of the experience of womanhood. And it's like under this idea that turf is a slur. And it's like, actually, it's just (laughs) what your ideology is, you know? People are, people, (laughs) okay. It's like, Okay, white women, stop. Yeah. <laughs> just, and in the middle of all stop? this, like <laughs> what? Just stop. <laughs> what about protests and riots out of thought that you should come out of your wizarding castle to, to talk about vaginas? Like, what? What? Oh, she's a mess. No, <laughs> nobody was talking to you, J.K. Rowling. Literally nobody. no one. Nobody had anything to say to you. No. And I mean, maybe that's what it is. She's like, oh, I haven't made a headline in a while. But I just feel like, you know, while I know you're transphobic, I'm also now pretty sure you're anti-Black. So thanks for for confirming that, you know. And you know, it just sucks because I am a Potterhead, right? Well, I guess that's, maybe I'm not that. Oh my God. 
<laughs> I feel like you have to really, really know Harry Potter to be a Potterhead. I have. Seen I mean, do you have every... a Pottermore account? Y- yeah, yeah, but like, yeah. <laughs> I haven't I, been you... on it in forever. No, everyone just logged in to get their house and left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. Um, so sure, whatever. I'm a Potterhead. I've seen every movie. I've read every book, but like once. Like I haven't read the books over and over again. Like I got it the first time. No, then... if you've developed an entire personality around a children's book, like move on. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, but it's just it's disheartening and it's sad because mm-hmm. I really love those movies, and I know that like at least the movies themselves. I don't think she was a screenwriter. I mean, they're based on her books, but she, in terms of like the movie itself, she wasn't like a producer or something i I think i i mean i might also be wrong but i don't know and then the new these new movies the fantastic beasts movies aren't that great anyways but i did not see them mm, i've seen the first one and then they doubled down on johnny depp who is an abuser and i was just like i'm good she which she also defended so i guess she is anti-black and also supports domestic abuse Almost uh, like RuPaul, it's like you can create works that speak to the power and disrupts the system, but then once it accepts you, you find everyone that speaks to the same things that you did as a threat. And so, you know, fuck her. Fuck that. Honestly. Um, I love that all the actors were also like, fuck her, fuck that. That was nice. I know. I mean, I mean, they weren't going to sit out here and... (laughs) have their careers ruined by her so no no no, yeah, no but i'm happy that they i'm very happy that they spoke out and i'm very happy with the essay that um daniel radcliffe wrote so mm-hmm. shout out yeah for the it. trevor project which we talked a little bit about oh, yeah, that's right. our supporting queer youth episode that is correct speaking of celebrities speaking the fuck out okay <laughs> sky jackson is exposing all the hollywood racists and i, I is she like 24 or 11 i so she has like ariana grande syndrome where it's like how old are you because you look like you're perpetually like 11 or 12 for like the rest of your life she looks the same age that she looked when everyone yelled at her or yelled at azealia banks for dragging her and they were like that's a child and, and i was, that like, was like five years ago i feel like okay yeah i, I have no idea sure, this girl I no but good for her. i'm glad that she's using her voice i just know her from disney and i just know that she likes to pop off on social so Shout out to her having she I think she said that she's had like over three thousand DMs since she um put up whatever that post was about like send me information if you've like worked with racist people in Hollywood mm-hmm. from like actors and production crews and whatnot. So mm-hmm. I mean it's not like we didn't know Hollywood, you know, was right. racist. Which just I don't know. It's funny that she got that many responses it's it's funny and it's sad and i <clears throat> i'm hoping that with these uprisings and honestly we talked a little bit about this when we were thinking just about covid in general but like i am hoping that this idea of celebrity really changes and mm-hmm. i think there is just this perceived and real i guess if it's your business and livelihood power that whiteness has over that industry and especially within white men i mean like harvey weinstein's of the world and Jeffrey Epstein's, like kind of having this tumble down from power is a start of it. But I don't know. I speak that truth to power, girl. I'm happy for her. I mean, I agree. It's I mean, it's it's clearly working and doing something. And I feel like 
Hollywood definitely does the performative, I mean, it's Hollywood. <laughs> it does the performative, the like, oh yeah, we are in solidarity, solidarity with XYZ because it's just the trendy thing to do right now. It does feel a little different this time. Like I will say, um, like, I mean, this isn't a big deal. HBO Max getting rid of Gone with the Wind is mm -hmm. whatever. <laughs> Y'all could have bended that, but also, like, it's Gone with the Wind. Like, I think it's a classic. At the end of the day, like, it is what it is. Um, Disney getting rid of Song of the South, which <laughs> I think I saw that movie when I was a kid, and at age, like, five, was like, something's not right about this movie. <laughs> so I really um, only remember The Whistling Bird, but, like... The Zippity-Doo-Dah? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And maybe I actually saw more of like a sing-along movie that included that than actual Song of the South, but I definitely know I've seen it. I have no, I, beyond, I mean, good. You beyond don't, age you don't seven, I don't have, yeah. There's I mean, nothing I, important. <laughs> I, I think that, um, I think I saw something where they were like having that air, but had like a, a screen, a, a, what's that? Like a disclaimer. Yeah, yeah, like a title card that was like, this is fucked up, just so you know. Um, and I, there's a part of me that finds I think it just depends on who's making money off of it is my thing because I'm like, we, in the same way that, um, although maybe it's like good for like a historian thing, because I'm thinking about something like uh, Birth of a Nation, right? Which is like mm -hmm. just this like horrific thing. And when I'm in film school, it is kind of important for me to understand like yeah. not, well, I mean, this speaks to the system of Hollywood too, you know, like that is one of the first major motion pictures and it's about the justification of killing black men. <laughs> like, like that is, um, there's something to that, <laughs> you know, you can't see my face, but I'm like making a face. Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting. I was reading, I think it was an article in Vulture. I'm always reading Vulture <clears throat> and, um, and I kind of agreed with it. It's, you know, pop culture, films, television shows, like they are capsules of like history. And like, mm -hmm. you can't completely just throw a veil or a shroud over something or just like remove it. And that suddenly removes the historical context of it all. Like, sure. I more so agree with what you were saying about what they did with Song of the South, which was like putting a disclaimer up more as like a trigger warning. Like mm -hmm. there's some stuff in here that's problematic. We know it's problematic, you know, but here it is. And I respect that more than trying to erase it altogether because at the end of the day, I mean, hey, that's just, that's part of the history, right? Like that's just what it is. And I think that that's also part of an issue with Hollywood, with this country, right? Like it's not about, erasing things and then suddenly everything's better like that's not how time works at least not in a linear fashion so right. it's not just about like let's go back in time and erase that this happened or like i agree with tearing down statues you know i was just that, gonna say that that's okay because there's there's a lot that goes into that but in terms well, of film and television shows i feel like that's a time capsule. Like, okay. we're not saying it was right. It's just that, like, learn from this. Like, this isn't how we are anymore. And you can kind of show your growth that way. But completely erasing it and, like, let's just take it down altogether is, in my way, I think, who produces that movie? Warner Brothers produced it uh, or owns Gone with the Wind? That's like Warner Brothers trying to say, like, no, 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 we were never racist. And it's like, no, 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 you were. <laughs> but, like, you can I hear you. own that and then say we grew from it. I hear you. I think, though, like the statues, it's about the public availability of it. It's mm -hmm. like, it's about how accessible is it to accidentally stumble upon something that, you know, has this history of being like, this is great. It was awarded. It like, 
is Scarlett O'Hara's like big movie, you know, yeah. different from this is in a criterion collection dedicated to the ways that film poorly portrayed uh, black people and rewrote history. Mm, like mm -hmm. if you have it in that context, that's the same thing that I feel about the statues. Keep that shit, put it in a museum. Fine. I mean, right, I, exactly, I'm fine. Exactly. Like tear it for down from the public square. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, my hometown fucking lit the market house on fire. It unfortunately did not burn all the way down. But like, what purpose does it serve to continuously keep uh, either Confederate or like slave-descended uh, kind of like monuments um, in our current society, other than to kind of send a message that like is either remember your place or remember how powerful we were. Like that yeah. is like the only two messages that that sends. And so I do think that if you have a, a, a streaming platform, I can totally see like, let's keep that to like something like Canopy or something that is kind of like more about library. I don't know, people coming to learn about that versus mm -hmm. coming, just stumbling upon it and being like, yeah, not there's like a, it there's a curation piece to that. Like there's a reason why there's a learning here. There's, it, it belongs to a capsule, like I was saying of some right. sort. Um, I agree hundred percent. Like <clears throat> I think in the same article I was reading, they were saying the difference between a film and a statue is a statue. If it's in public view, like you can't avoid it. Like you have to look at it and uh -huh. it also sits up. It's usually perched up. So you are like looking up to it, which means that just like demanding your respect. Whereas, a film is, yes, you could stumble upon it, but it's not like demanding your attention, right? Like you, okay. in a way, unless the, Gone with the Wind is like a featured movie on HBO Max, like you wouldn't, I had no idea it was there, honestly, until like- Okay, I well, what you're, what you're speaking, I think I kind of see both sides of that, but I do that all the time. But what you're speaking to is like Netflix advertising the help mm. after you watch 13th. That is fucked up. That's it, fucked up. That's yeah. fucked up. And like- and different maybe from things like Gone with the Wind and Song of the South, the help does not have to be remembered. We could forget that. <laughs> like we could like, forget that movie. Like it's totally fine. If there is one thing you take away from this episode today, <laughs> stop watching the help. The help yeah. is not a good movie. Like I know no. that when it came out for some reason, it got a bunch of attention. I mean, Green Book was nominated too. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's not a good movie. Viola Davis herself has said that she regrets having even been in that movie and it got her an Academy Award. And well, she's the, like, <laughs> the woman that it's about when the book came out was like, that's fucked up like that is not about me that is not my life like i am not right. about that like uh so i think uh from the get-go that has kind of had this tor torrid history and i i think that one of the ways different than kind of censorship but and without like rewriting history we can keep that as this kind of like yes here's a modern day and here's the through line of that portrayal of how hollywood has fucked up images of uh, black folks and always tries to make white people feel good. I like that uh, in that. And I kind of like the movie just because I liked uh, Janelle Monet, but the astronaut movie. Um, oh, uh, that. Okay. First yeah, lady. Taraji, uh, something. Smart oh, women. I don't know what is it called. But smart you know, women. These ladies are the smart. Moon. It's yeah. something like that. Anyway, yeah. that the white character in it, all of his stuff isn't real. Like, it's just not real. They just wrote it so oh, that, yeah. mm -hmm. like, there is uh, an attachment to, like, do good white people. Anyway, I'm just saying, like, Kirsten we could... Kirsten Dunst in that movie, too. What the fuck is Kirsten Dunst doing? Sorry. <laughs> I don't know. I... 
want to watch Bring It On instead of The Help, though. <laughs> um, besides movies getting canceled, there's a bunch of celebrities and CEOs kind of left and right, which, like, I mean... That maybe it's about fucking time. Yeah, and maybe you'll have a further conversation one day about, like, what actually is canceling and what isn't and whatever that means, but... And what can sometimes be problematic about it, but... Sure, but who's in yeah. the shitter right now? I mean, all right, so, I mean, okay, let's start with Serena Williams' husband, Alexis, don't know how to say his last name. Oh, my God. <clears throat> but is he white? He, I think he's white, okay. but I don't know. He might be something else, but he's white passing. I'll say that, so... Okay. Um, he was the CEO of Reddit and he stepped down. Oh, um, right. Not because he personally did anything racist, but to make uh, space. Yeah, but he made space for racism to exist on this platform um, and knows that, I mean, it's still there today, but knows that definitely that's what contributed to some of the success of Reddit. So, yeah. if not all of it. So, um, he, you know, took personal responsibility for that and accountability for it and stepped down. I mean, he's fine. <laughs> yeah. He's not going to be hurting or anything like that. Right. And then CrossFit CEO, don't know his name, don't care about his name. No, but fuck he that. He was on some Zoom call with a bunch of gym owners and essentially was saying, I don't know what he said exactly, but either way, it was racist and rained was- to the tune of like, we're not going to make a statement. We're not going to make a statement and nobody, oh, that's what it was. Nobody's mourning <clears throat> George Floyd. That's right. not what any of this is about. Like nobody essentially cares that he died. Yeah. And I um, hope people feel vindicated because I'm pretty sure anyone that has walked past a CrossFit gym can recognize that it's a neo-Nazi clubhouse. Like oh yeah, for CrossFit sure. gyms are trash. <laughs> like They are like, also Planet Fucking Fitness has like a new placard out in their fucking purple ass room that is like cops get free or discounted things for a year. No, so they don't. Planet, yes, they do. Yes, they oh, do. Oh, God. I don't know if that is, like, canceled by the time that this episode comes out, but I saw that today. So, but anyway, that CrossFit CEO thing. I mean, I'm, I'm glad someone is finally paying the price, but, like, fuck CrossFit. I'm happy to see it go. Bye. Bye. Yeah, and it's also not that good for you, you guys. CrossFit is not a good training model. I mean, as I drink this beer, I agree. <laughs> um, and then I... These people, I don't know their names because I don't care. All I know is that they're racist. So I don't feel the need to say their names. The former editor of Bon Appetit, she is now former. She stepped down as well because she was being racist to some people. And this is what I love. It's kind of what Sky Jackson did too, right? Like people are really taking the social to call out former racist bosses or just places of employment, whether they're currently there or not there anymore. Mm -hmm. And Well, it's a good way to avoid like defamation and stuff too because you're not the one saying it you're just saying like yeah. does anyone else have anything to say and then everyone else says it and does it the job for you exactly um and then there were these two white girls on vanderpump rules that got fired recently and then there were two new cast members i think that also got fired but either way the two girls that got fired are uh, the two white girls they called the police on one of the black co-stars just because just to be funny i guess just because they thought it was going to be a joke. Either way, they actually don't got a job no more. And you know that was their only source of income. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this one star from that the, show. the Flash or Vanderpump Rules. Oh, well, both. I, I mean, both. Same, same with Bon Appetit, too. I've only seen, like, one episode because um, Orville Peck was on it. And I was mm-hmm. like, I'm going to watch this. But I saw this compilation video today 
of the woman who was making like 30,000 or 40,000 in New York fucking city compared to all of her white co-stars. And it is just this four minute compilation video of all of those people not being able to cook and her coming in and correcting them and helping oh them. And it was like, it's, it's so, I feel, um, the women that were discounted by this CEO person are like, so rad and it sucks because like i am hoping that their careers get elevated from this you know mm-hmm. but well what did the flash do i don't know him well it's not the guy that plays the flash okay it's the guy that plays the elongated man <laughs> okay i do not watch i do not watch the flash yeah um, let that dick don't <laughs> anyways the guy who plays the elongated man um you know the, the story, you know how it goes. Some tweets resurfaced from back in the day. They were really hateful. Some of them were racist. I mean, they were all racist, sexist, um, homophobic. Like, they were just name and ist, and that's what they were. Right. So, and they were just, like, bad jokes. Like, I read some of them, and it was just like, we, are you are you 11? Like, do you not know how to make a proper joke? Like, this, is, this doesn't land at all. But... Yeah. I mean, most whatever. straight men aren't funny. Like... <laughs> I put um, money on it. Yeah. I, and I think that there is something, uh, there is something to learning. There is something to not being who you used to be. Um, and I think people get confused um, about like a lack of forgiveness or allowing someone to be human and seen and held and allowing someone to still make millions of dollars those are different things. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. making someone, taking someone out of the public eye from, especially if it's beyond one moment, you know, like, but if it's like a history, a character trait of being awful, like, sure, go to your mama's house, go to your friend's house, let them like hold you and teach you and do better and stuff. But I think that you're maybe just not going to be a TV actor anymore. And yeah. that is not the same thing as like, not allowing someone to live or taking away their livelihood. Because the other fucking thing is most of the time, these people don't lose their livelihood. They just like get a new audience. Exactly. Um, Trump liked an insecure tweet. <laughs> Weird. I don't, I don't even, know why. I don't I, know if that was on purpose or not. It's, I don't know. I, it's like, what alternate universe is 2020 that 45 is... <laughs> watching Insecure and liking tweets related to Insecure. I don't know. Issa Rae was, I saw her response, uh, something another actor tweeted and she did that, uh, the, what is it? The meme or the gif from the new Candyman movie where, uh, what's her name? Don't say that. (laughs) (laughs) She was, uh, Issa was just straight up like, no, 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 no. Like, I don't even want. The fracking, the fracking. (laughs) That's really um, I was funny. Like, same sis, same. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, fuck that person. I also just like, if you are following Forty Five on any platform, unfollow and block him. I promise, 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 promise. You will see anything major. News oh, outlets yeah. will tell you. But I didn't know people I, actually followed him. So I on Twitter all the time. I get so mad when people like the same thing with J.K. Rowling. If you give this. You, the thing to do is screenshot their tweet and then tweet it. Do not retweet them. Do not reply yeah. to their tweet. Make them feel like they are in like this voodoo universe where no one cares about them anymore. Because yeah. if you 
no matter if you're yelling against it or for it, you are fueling the fire. Unfollow, block, leave him alone. I can't we'll believe see it if it's major enough. Actually, follow that man. I have never, and I agree. I have never followed him on anything. Mm-hmm. But I see everything I need to see. It's on the news. Like you'll you'll see it. It's the president. Right. So. I mean, I think I did at the beginning or at, during the election because I was like, it. I, I get the intention when people on left want to, they're like, I want to know, you know, the major talking points. I want to know what I should be afraid of. I want to know that. But like, literally, it just incites fear. It makes our anxiety rise up. And mm-hmm. he's going to say what he's going to say. Unfollow block. Oh, my God. I, not to go down this rabbit hole because it's a slippery slope, but. Oh, my God. This fool is planning a rally in Tulsa. Oklahoma, on Juneteenth. On fucking Juneteenth. Yeah. I. Nightmares. What is that? Next, that's next week. Jesus, y'all aren't even gonna hear my response to that for like another two weeks. But you best believe I'm gonna have a response. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think um, there are no coincidences. That is on purpose. Um, and if you don't know why him hosting that rally in Tulsa is a big fucking deal, especially on Juneteenth, just look up the history of Tulsa, Oklahoma, and then you know just type in Tulsa and racism. <laughs> Get you might get a couple hits, yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of a weird kind of racism, Nancy Pelosi and those people in their kente cloths. Oh my god! And their eight <laughs> minutes of kneeling or whatever the fuck that was. That's just funny. It. I mean, it's not funny that I mean the the silence that they were taking for um, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and every other black person that has been murdered in this country. Um, that's not funny. But just the whole no. performative. The moment being so performative was what was funny to me. I wasn't even offended. I was literally, I saw the pictures and just started laughing and just, who came up with this idea? It literally cannot be written. If that was pitched in a writer's <laughs> room, they'd be like, that's too crazy. That's too like, much. It it doesn't make any fucking sense. And yes, it is hilarious. And, and it's infuriating. Instead of fucking putting on, which no Black people told them to do that. Like, maybe a poor intern was shaking and was like, sure, sure, that's a good idea. But, like, yeah. no, no, no. Well, the, the Congressional Black Caucus usually wears kente cloths, like, depending on what their meeting or what a hearing is around. Like, I know that they wore one to some Trump meeting just to, like, make a statement. But I don't know why, like, Nancy Pelosi and the white Democrats decided they needed to hop on that wagon just for a photo op like it, just for a photo op it is yeah. the same fucking thing as those instagram girls that were like going up and uh you know uh pretending to drill something in support of helping black businesses uh that were rebuilding from the riots or standing in the middle of a protest with a beautiful gown and getting your photo taken it is the same fucking thing and yeah. like instead of sitting down and bowing do your fucking job Nancy Pelosi, do your job. And I don't care that I'm supposed to be excited by this woman who is the speaker of- Not my house. <laughs> yeah, not my house. Uh, but I don't care that she is this the this woman that is uh, powerful and is taking every opportunity to, she can to take what everyone is chanting, chanting in the streets and say, um, how about I just tell you that I agree with you and yet do nothing about it. I mean, even fucking Bernie Sanders was like, I don't think defunding the police is a good idea. And so it just, it sucks that our politicians, even if we're supposed to agree with them, or even if we fucking vote for them, treat us like garbage. And 
us is the collective United States, and then obviously the us that I'm not a part of, which is the black community. This is what happens when you put people on a pedestal, and that's why y'all gotta stop doing that shit. Like, Fuck Nancy Pelosi. That's so fucking annoying. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's and it's funny. I mean, it, it is funny. Slightly I, mean, angry, but it's I funny. mean, it's. I'll put it like this: When I graduated from, um, I went to an HBCU, and we also wore kente cloths like at our graduation yeah as a black person i put on a kente cloth and felt like why am i wearing this i don't feel like yeah. i should be wearing this so yeah. for white anybody to be doing it i'm just like okay i mean Nightmare. it is literally a um it's from ghana so i i'm not from ghana i don't think I mean, I've done my whole 23 and me. literally nothing says Ghana in it. Yeah. That doesn't mean I can't wear a kente cloth, but I'm just saying, like, I don't myself understand the history of that garment and of that textile and what it means to people from Ghana. Not because I don't care, but because, like, literally I have no connection to it. So whether it would be in solidarity or not, it's just like... It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, and it's I that full... If I asked Nancy Pelosi her face right now, tell me the story of kente cloth. She probably couldn't do it. No, <laughs> no. And it's just that full, like, uh, dad from Get Out who's like, I voted for Obama twice. She's like, I knelt in Kendrick lost three times. Like, fuck <laughs> that. It's so stupid. It's so dumb. Okay. Um, fuck Nancy Pelosi. I also, this next thing that I'm about to read, I truly, I haven't heard of it. And reading it seems like something a Twitter bot wrote. Again, if you pitch it to a writer's room, they'd say it's too much. Iggy Azalea has had a son with Playboy Cardi. <laughs> what she did she Is, did and what, so, are you sure <laughs> i <laughs> yeah i it's right there playing his day you didn't know she was pregnant this whole time i know um no because you said this go ahead i mean kind of a good thing i guess that we didn't know she was pregnant that means that she was gone long enough that we mm -hmm. stopped paying attention there we go yeah i mean she's dug herself into a hole of releasing albums and everyone being like, oh, we still continue to not care about you, even if you use drag queens, and specifically black drag queens that you're using as a shield mm -hmm. for your own racism, uh, are in the, your video, I don't care. And like, um, to some extent, um, it does kind of, I guess, like, there are worse people in music than her. There are mm -hmm. worse, maybe, oh, for sure. like, um, uh, even people who say and believe worse things than her. But, like, she was kind of the first of that wave of, like, you are not going to profit off Black culture without even a hint of acknowledgement of the fact that... I mean, the other thing with her is that her voice is totally, like, it's Black voice. That is and the annoying still, part about that's it. That's the thing, is here's... I'm just like, don't get me wrong. There are some Iggy Azalea songs that I'm like, I mean, it's a bop. I just can't get down with you girl but like she still is using black voice like she's still doing it so it's just like this is not how you speak i've seen you do interviews i've seen you on television like you do not speak like this you are putting right. on a thing so right. when you can still spit, spit lyrics this yeah, spit lyrics the same with the same flow and sort of like wit that you sometimes have but you can right. take the black voice out of it then then maybe we will respect you and listen and pay attention. Right. I have no problem with Iggy Azalea being in music. I think that she right. has a potentially, I, I mean, that being said, I'm maybe not going to listen to that music, but I, I believe that she should be allowed and stop talking like, you don't talk like that. Like you just, 
she she's lying when she says that she does like i mean and i i worry about that uh fucking kid man like it makes me sad i do i pray for that baby i don't know that baby's name but i mean it's like all the fucking kardashian children you know they have like black kids and then raise them like with this kind of like mixed consciousness that's fucked up it's fucked up Ooh, like, I don't want to see what the Kardashian kids are going to grow up to be like in another like seven years. I mean, I hope awesome. I gen- I mean, I don't want to shit on anyone's kids. I hope that they're well adjusted and fine. And I don't. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, okay, I need a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we are going to be talking with my wonderful friend, Amanda Manjares, about how to stay fucking sane in the chaos. And here an awesome queer story because at QBT we believe telling your story is a radical act. Let's take a break. Howdy friends, welcome back. I am so extremely very all of the adjectives excited uh to be bringing on a dear friend of mine amanda manjaras who is um here to both talk about herself and also to share a little bit about like what it means to stay resilient and make sense of this chaos and we are leaving that broad on purpose (laughs) because i think um storytelling is the most important part of this and i think that i've seen amanda in uh your work and in our relationship that stories is where i hear the most truth from you and that is like a really exciting part of my friendship with you but um yeah i just want to hand it over to you introduce yourself tell our friends who you are yeah, so uh, Amanda Manjaris, and I am, let's see, all of the identities I'm going to bring today. So I'll start with, uh, I'm a Mexican woman, a cisgendered woman. I'm a, a partner. I'm engaged to a very fantastic lady um, who Agreed. keeps me really grounded in all of the things. Um, and I am from New Mexico, and that, you know, for folks who know me, know that that's a really big part of my identity. I have a lot of grounding and a lot of, you know, my heart's really in New Mexico and um, leaving that state has been challenging, but I, I feel like over the last few years, I finally found home in Portland as well. So it's kind of an interesting mixture, I would say, of my personality. Um, and uh, did you want me to say a little bit about what I do or? Just- yeah, that's great. That's great. That's great. You're also, I want to name that you're in good transplant company. So we're, we're all, <laughs> none of us are from Portland, but we've made it, made it home. Totally. I feel like I found the like unicorns too. And so it's always interesting to see how they navigate the world. It's a very different experience. We love being called unicorn. Yeah, totally. My partner is a unicorn and you know, all of her unicorn friends. It's a good time. (laughs) Um, So yeah, so I am, I mean, it's a complicated question when folks ask me what I do generally. And part of it is, so the easiest answer is I'm a lawyer. um, But I would say that's probably just one tool I have. Um, I, you know, in my work, identify more as a policy political strategist. And so I actually started doing that work back in New Mexico. I've been doing it for about 13 years now. And so when people look at me, they think I'm like 25, maybe, you know, (laughs) it's like, you know, I've lived a life. Um, So I've been doing it for a long time. And I started doing that in New Mexico 
um, for a lot of reasons, really young. Um, worked in progressive politics there, so I was the chief strategist for the political table. And my work there for a long time was to help get progressives elected and to move progressive policy, right? And so doing all of that work, I actually hit a moment in my career, um, you know, probably like 2012, 2011, where I realized that, you know, I was working with a lot of lawyers who didn't really, they weren't as creative as I wanted them to be. And that was really frustrating, right? I felt like they were like, here, here are the boundaries, right? And it's like, no, I need you to figure out how. You're telling me what it is and I need you to figure out how. So I actually moved to Portland to go to law school in 2013 um, and to kind of take a break. I was really burnt out from the political work. So as I see everything that's going on right now, it's really You funny took a break at law school? Yeah, that, in my mind at that time, okay. <laughs> it felt like a break, you know, and it was not a break. That shit was hard, you know what I mean? And it yeah. was, it, it stretched my brain, which is what I was looking for. Um, but I would say, you know, as I, as I watch what's going on, I think that the pacing and the, the urgency is real, but it's also like burnout is real too. And it's easy to get there pretty quickly. And so I moved to Oregon to take a break and go to law school and get this tool and, you know, enjoy the, get out of the desert enjoy the trees. Um, and it was interesting moving here because I think I experienced a culture shock in a different way than I ever have. And so when I moved here, I had a lot of relationships with the folks in progressive politics because that's what I had been doing for a long time and got to know, again, found my people, communities of color and realized like, well, shit, we have a problem. You know, like we have these communities who don't trust the political establishment. They don't trust the process. They don't trust politicians. They don't trust organizers. They don't trust all of the folks who do this mm -hmm. work here on quote unquote progressive politics. And so after I got out of law school, I'm my, in my legal work, my legal hat, I focus more on election law. It's kind of a weird thing that I always have to explain to folks. But when I got here, I felt like my work was really to bridge the gap between the fact that communities of color didn't really trust those folks. And those were folks holding power and the folks who were holding power weren't authentically engaging or listening to communities of color. So I yeah. feel like my work is generally, you know, again, as a policy political strategist is to bridge those two. So in all of the different roles and titles I've held, it really is doing the work of empowering communities to one, demystify these systems and, you know, remind them like, these are, this is your government. You know what I mean? These are your systems and, you know, we need to make sure they work for you. And so a lot of political empowerment, connecting those folks, you know, to, um, people who are making decisions. And then on the other end, working within institutions and changing policy and working with the governor's office and legislators and the mayor and other folks to say like, hey, do better. And also like, let's get into the weeds a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like pulling those, those threads together a little bit. So my formal title now, so I've, you know, since I've been in Oregon, worked as the advocacy director for the Coalition of Communities of Color, which is 19 different culturally specific groups. And so coming from New Mexico and again, learning all the, like the, the, you know, I was familiar with the black community, the Latino community, Native American community, and there are so many other communities that I just did not have as much sure. familiarity with, which was really humbling and an incredible opportunity experience to get connected to different communities. Um, but I was the first person to hold that role and so really built that position for them. And then I went over to Latino Network um, and Carmen Rubio, who is now one of our city commissioners, which I'm very yeah. excited about, hired me there to help build an advocacy department for them. And now I'm the director of public policy and government affairs for Foundations for a Better Oregon, which is also known as Chalkboard Project. So I work for philanthropy essentially to help them solve 
our education issues. And as you can imagine now with like this economic crisis and everything that's happening with the pandemic, like schools are not a thing right now. And also like the state doesn't have any money to do all the things it's supposed to do. And so we already had a problem with our systems before and now it's like, we're really kind of in a reimagining space. Wow, girl. I <laughs> Yeah, so it's hard, I, it's hard to explain. <laughs> yeah. So for the listeners out there, I have been to Amanda's house like twice, maybe. Literally just to go they're like uppy. So I <laughs> know you did all of that. That's amazing. What well, the- that's my like self-care, which is why I'm losing my mind right now. You know, right. it's like, okay, well, we're gonna do all this crazy shit and like work and work is heavy and, and intense. Very like meaningful though, you know, it, it definitely yeah. drives me in a lot of ways. And I just want to have a themed dance party. You know right. what I mean? And that's how I like let loose and just, you know. And I appreciate you for it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it, we were talking last episode a little bit about, and we've mentioned this before, but just like the queers know how to party. And you're <laughs> one of those people who knows how to party. And uh, and that comes out of necessity, both mm-hmm. just from a break from work, but yeah. also just out of a, uh, a proclamation of resilience, right? Yeah, like, absolutely. And, um, I I have a question that I um, I'm not sure. Did you know when you were younger that you would be sitting somewhere listing several director position, positions after law school like that? Uh, you I just want to revel. It, it, like it, it's hard because like Shawnee's right. There is like this level of knowing you that is so casual cool collected and is also a fucking change maker wherever you go and that is like did did your younger self see that oh no way like I so again like going into my history a little bit I and I was telling uh, Maddie when I agreed to do this like oh I don't ever share about myself you know I come in with like I'm gonna explain this um well, you but I will to, say but... you, no 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 but mm. I think it's important because it is like I grew up like small town, New Mexico, super impoverished town, like had no idea what public policy was. You know, it's just like not even the realm of my thinking. If anything, at one point I thought, oh, you have to like be a lawyer to help people. You know what I mean? Like I thought that was like the thing. And I really kind of fell into this, you know, post-college actually, which is when I, you know, I went to to law school a lot later. I'd already really established my career before I went to law school. Yeah. Um, And I thought, when I was graduating my undergrad, like I remember the moment where I like discovered public policy as a tool that like really just resonated for me. And I think part of it was like somebody explaining universal healthcare. Like I had a sociology 101 class, which again, I'm the first in my family to go to college, you know, let alone become a lawyer. So it just, it just was not in the realm of my understanding. My mom was pissed when I went to college was like, why aren't you getting a job? You know? And so, and it's now she's like, everybody needs to go to college. So it's it's changed. Um, And I'm the oldest of five kids, you know? So like it really was, setting that precedent, but I didn't really have that example and I didn't have that experience with anybody. And when I came out of uh, undergrad or actually while I was in undergrad, just hearing kind of like about universal healthcare and these like progressive ideas and was just like, wait, what? Like, why don't we have that? Like, it was so confusing to me, you know? And so like, I didn't, you know, and I wasn't a political, I was like a math and philosophy major. You know what I mean? I don't like, that's a whole weird thing in itself, but like, I just didn't even think about like, political work or policy work as even a thing that I had no context for it. I'll say that. And when I came out, I kind of fell into this in a weird way where I was, and this will say a little bit about why I specialize in election law, but 
at that time, Albuquerque was pulling together public financing systems. So basically, I read an article about it in sort of like the Willamette Week in Albuquerque. It's called the Alibi. And it was talking about like why that was important. Like, you know, so candidates don't have to have to ask rich people for money. And I was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. The folks were doing phone banking for that or like, I don't know, this organization was like the legal pissed off voters or something. And okay. I was like, all right. They yeah, were doing phone banking you know. for people should be allowed or not be allowed to have that money? Like people wouldn't be allowed, like if you're in public financing, basically you get a certain amount of signatures and then you get a pot of money to run for office so that you don't have to ask people for money, which okay. to me just made common sense in terms of like all of that stuff. Um, I had just graduated undergrad and got a call to help out with a phone bank on this issue and showed up and really knew the issue because I had read about it and I just kind of nerded out in policy. And the folks who were running that happened to be a group of political consultants who were like moving into, you know, progressive political infrastructure in New Mexico. And they were really confused why I knew so much about like politics. They were just like, or by this issue. And they were like, and I was like, oh, I love public financing. And they're like, nobody loves public financing. <laughs> so fucking weird. Um, but then they like immediately were like, well, do you want to go to Memphis to this, you know, green jobs conference because we need somebody to go and you're like you know we just like really clicked and I was managing a coffee shop at the time and studying for the LSAT because I thought you had to be a lawyer to have impact mm. and they so I was confused I was like you want me to do what and they were like this conference and it was like Van Jones was running it and like Tupac's oh mom was there it was just like I don't know where you want me to go but I'll go you know and so I went and learned about all of these like the shift to like green economy like all of that stuff and came back and was like oh you should try these different ideas and they were like well how about you come on board and we'll hire you to do that and I was like so that was kind of a fork in the road moment you know but it really was just a connection with these these folks who were much older than me I was very like a lot younger than those political consultants but they brought me on and you know I ended up passing two of those three policies in my first session and just oh it God. was just went from there. You know what I mean? And that I was like 21 at the time. Mm -hmm. And they like immediately, like, I remember them getting me, getting me like kind of drunk. Like we went to the bar to celebrate and they were like, what, like, what job do you want? And I was like, well, I want the policy director job. And they ended up giving me the policy director job. And then Girl. it was like, you know, from there. So Dang. It was a weird, it's a weird life, you know, and those kind of weird moments of like, I was just showing up to help out because you know, I just finished, finished undergrad and I had some time and it just, it changed my life in so many ways. But it was really empowering, you know, and I think it's important for folks to know, like, you don't have to be a lawyer to see that kind of change. I did that for a long time before I went to law school. Hmm. I'm hearing a few things. I'm hearing one, like the importance of people believing in you, like, mm -hmm. like the importance of what it means when someone with perceived power or older than you or whatever mm -hmm. says, like, you're actually saying some really smart shit. I want to hear more about it. Like, um, whether that's a good or bad thing about humanity, it's like something that happens. It, it feels validating when that happens, you know? Yeah. And so I think for queer people that are older, it's important that we do that to folks that are younger and we see potential in and promise and we can change hiring practices that harmed us. You know what I mean? Like we can Absolutely. look at, and obviously you're, you're not saying you were harmed by this. It, it was awesome. But I'm also hearing too, and I don't know if this resonates, but like the chameleon aspect of being queer, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I feel like that's just everything. You know, like that, it's like I was saying, just getting onto this, it's, you know, there are multiple identities we're all carrying in so many ways. And I feel like having the skill and ability to, to bring it 
when you need to is both a little bit of a privilege, I would say, in a skill that I've cultivated in my life, but also like, I wish we didn't have to do that. You know what I mean? It's, it's unfortunate that we have to like show up in certain ways or like the fact that I'm a lawyer now gets me into certain rooms that, you know, would have been inaccessible before. Yeah. I think that's unfortunate and those, those things need to change. Yeah. Johnny was talking a bit about that last week and that specific, um, leveraging <laughs> and mm-hmm. that, and, you know, I mean, I think it's been another way to name it sometimes is like code switching, you know, but like yeah. another part of that is like recognizing who in the room is going to pay attention to me and why are they going to pay attention to me and mm-hmm. what acting can I do to get that <laughs> like to happen, yeah. you know? Um, something that you've said uh, is that your life's work has become finding ways to transform systems to ensure people have access to opportunities that -hmm. allow them to live their best lives. And I think that you've given us the kind of um, larger narrative about that feeling specifically. And something I'm curious about is that's a weight, Mama. Mm -hmm. That is... (sighs) I just like want to breathe (laughs) that out. Like that is like, that's a lot. Like... um, Shani and I have had conversations before about like how tough it is to either cope or move forward or whatever, but like holding that weight about what you're naming yourself as your life's work of, you know, ensuring people can live their best lives. Like, what does that feel like in terms of a day-to-day Amanda? Yeah. You know, I think that's evolved over time. I think I would say my younger self when I was in New Mexico doing this work, like I remember like the folks, again, the folks who gave me all of this opportunity and mentored me early on, um, like actually saying to me, it just feels like you're carrying these boulders and I'm watching you just take another boulder and another boulder and you could just see it. I'm, I'm, you won't fall over. It's like, they're waiting for it to kind of tip over and it doesn't. And I think that's a big part of, you know, it comes from that resiliency and, and where we come from as, as people in our experience with our families and with our communities and like that survival of like, I'm going to get it done. I'm going to get it done. You know, that hustle. And I think um, now as I've reflected on that, as I've gone through my own coaching and other experiences to help me sort of heal from that drive to like, just keep fixing, keep doing. I think I've found better balance with it where I can really appreciate and understand the role we all play in that work, right? So I don't do any of that myself. Like, I I think I've been really fortunate to find people to work with and who I can, who are my collaborators and whether they're in my organization or they're other folks that I tap to to collaborate on different things. Um, I think, you know, it it really motivates me. It makes me feel very grounded. It makes me feel like we're all in it together. So I think I've, I found a space where it's, it's definitely like a a healthier weight now. Um, But you know, it, it fluctuates. I still fall back into those bad habits often. You bring up a good point. And I'm wondering because, especially with the current situation, everything going on right now with um, the protesting and this sudden focus, sudden focus on um, police brutality and racial injustice, that is something for me, that's like a lifelong thing. And Mm -hmm. sort of stepping into that now, again, and this time maybe there's more support from white people coming. Um, mm-hmm. I've still found it really difficult staying resilient and staying motivated um, because, and maybe it's the cynic in me, maybe a piece of me is just like, this is sort of going to be a moment. I'm still waiting for like the other shoe to drop and it all to pass, um, which would then be frustrating 
Um, and then also just with my personal life, I feel like I try to make as much impact and change wherever I am when it does come to racial injustice. But sometimes I'm fucking tired. <laughs> like, it's just like, I am, I have no motivation to do this. I do not want to be the leader right now. Nobody else is going to step up. I still don't want to step up. Like, I guess I'm just going to let the system just stay as it is because I just do not have the energy. How do you stay resilient and how are you staying motivated? Because girl, it is hard. Yeah, no, it is totally hard. I was just telling a friend the other day as we were like planning another thing on Zoom where it was like, I feel like I'm just trying to like facilitate for sustainability. You know, it's like really doing like, I will spend extra time working with folks to coach them to potentially take on those roles. You know what I mean? Because it's not sustainable for me to continue doing that. And I think sometimes you just have to say no, you know, you have mm -hmm. to learn to say no and you have to learn to pause. And I will say in Oregon, folks are very persistent in trying to get you to a yes. And I think, I mean, I've been a little frustrated by it since I've lived here about like the asks that come when you do step into those positions, right? Or they do see you as, whether it be a leader or you have information or you can help me with this. And I think just working up that space to be able to say no when you need to, and then also, feeling comfortable in that. And then also like folks recognizing how hard it is when you do constantly ask, you know, your like folks of color, you know, especially, you know, for that. Yes. And you're like moving them towards that. Yes. People feel mm -hmm. that, you know what I mean? And they feel a lot of pressure there and it's, it's not helpful, you know, and it's not healing and it. It just kind of feeds back into that. I feel guilty. I feel frustrated. I wish yes. I could have said yes. You know what I mean? And it's, it's hard. So I think, you know, the older I get, the more like, the easier it is for me to say no, I'll say that <laughs> to that point. Um, but I think that's an important skill that we have to cultivate when we feel like we have to, you know, again, survive these systems. It's like, you don't want to miss an opportunity to make an impact, you know, but there's, mm -hmm. you know, I'll say I left New Mexico seven years ago now and I thought I was taking a break and I thought I was going to have to do all of this work to really get back into it. And it was so easy to jump right back in. You know what I mean? So it really is. And that was an important lesson I had to learn because I remember panicking about that a little bit. Um, but it's something I, you know, I try to share and, you know, Maddie, to your point earlier too, I feel like I have this really soft spot for like young Latina women. So anytime a young Latina woman I come across is like, can we get coffee? I'm like, absolutely. You know what I mean? And I think part of it is how are you having these conversations with folks who are like, I feel like I have to say yes, or I'm not going to get that job, or I won't get that position, or I can't do that thing, or it won't ever happen again, you know, and it's like, there's so many ways to have impact, um, and you got to take care of yourself first. Hmm. That's important. Mm -hmm. Thanks for saying that. I needed that today. <laughs> anytime, Shawnee, you can call me anytime, and I'll give you that motivational speech. <laughs> Okay, girl, I'll just say I'm going to call you like every night before bed. <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> um, that is making me think about, um, I, I don't mean this to come out of left field, but I'm thinking mm -hmm. about uh, sometimes I feel like I have left work that is left to do in North Carolina for queer people, mm -hmm. uh, which is battling a lot of stuff right now. And I also recognize that in the moment, I did not have the resiliency and the strength to like be up against that shit all the time. So I was like, I'm going to go to what I perceived as a more progressive place, which was Portland. Mm -hmm. And now that I have some of that strength back and I feel through therapy and these other things that have kind of taught mm -hmm. me like, you know, you're a whole fucking person, man. Like, um, I guess it's like, how do we empower our communities from afar 
or like how mm-hmm. do how do we engage with um support from afar when we aren't holding a zip code with something that is part of our dna it's 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 well it's hard and it it you know it hurts not to be there sometimes when you see things happening and you want to help um but it's also like i just feel like real change is grounded in relationship right and i think yeah. part of it is like how we have choice in relationships. So every time I go home, I feel like I'm doing, um, people call it my office hours at coffee shops, right? Cause then I'll like stay with a different friend and we hang out and then I'll like go to a coffee shop and I'm just like constantly checking back in with folks and like hanging out or I'll jump on the phone and I'm constantly connecting folks in Oregon actually with my people in New Mexico. Cause you know, I told the story before of like, well, I was working on political infrastructure in New Mexico. We're finally winning. You know, all of the people mm. we were just trying to get in are like in every position. And it's like, now the challenge of governing in that space, but I just, I'm so hopeful for that. You know what I mean? And I think keeping connected with the people in your community or the people you feel close to in those spaces and having these conversations, like I, you know, people come to visit me, I go back home and we, we connect about things and just think it out. You know what I mean? Because I feel like what's, what's not good. And I've worked a lot with like, and this is kind of the analogy that's popping in my head, like national groups, for example, sometimes who want to like parachute in or like, like, I'm coming in, I'm the savior, let me do this for you. And it's like, you don't know that local context. You know, personally, I don't know the local context of New Mexico in the way I did seven years ago. You know what I mean? So it's like, how do I make sure to show up for the folks on the ground and the friends and the, the people who are just, just wanting to, to think it out, right? And to, to work on it and to and be a resource and a, and a support for them. Okay, I totally, part of me is like, knowing that is in terms of like that you are not as knowledgeable as you were uh, about that community. Like you're not as like um, connected as, as you were you when you were there, because mm-hmm. I am thinking about like so much of my knowledge is Portland, like so much of my mm-hmm. connection is Portland and I can take like broader queer resiliency, and, but like, what does that mean in the context of a political structure that I don't understand, you know? And yeah. Well, I guess my question for you would be, you know, in thinking about what's pulling you into that space and, and wanting to have that impact, you know, and, and from where you come from, yeah. like, what is it, what is it that really motivates you to want to do that? Well, I think, um, I at times deal with guilt of living mm-hmm. in a place that allows me to be me in a way that if I had stayed, would not have allowed that. And while I know that, I know that it's stupid to feel guilty. And I also am just like, I don't think that I would have stepped into the same spaces. I don't think that my, I don't regret making the choices that I made. And I am like, North Carolina is literally, they just shot down a bill days ago Mm -hmm. that would ban, um, conversion therapy like that's where North Carolina is right now in North Carolina three or four years ago had a trans bathroom bill that was the most like egregious in the country you know what I mean like for some reason specifically North Carolina has become this like queer battleground that Mm -hmm. and so to me that's the pull and at the same time I don't want to fucking live there right now you know I'm enjoying I'm enjoying being in Oregon and I'm enjoying potentially this I really identify with you. You know, I, my career was not anywhere looking like the success that you were having. Um, and I had kind of been working at this nonprofit for seven years. And when I was taking a break or taking a time to pivot and go back to school, 
I had this question around like, will I be able to get connected to this again? Like, will I be back in this quote, larger work again, you know, or will I be, I am now a counselor therapist and this is like where that is. Um, and, you know, then COVID happened and mutual aid popped up and I was really able to pop back into it. Then the uprisings happen again and I'm able to like step back into those spaces. And so I, I'm recognizing more that that is just like a, potentially a personality trait versus like a job. Um, but I just, I don't know. I mean, I, I am I'm thinking about North Carolina more and I'm thinking about like the fact that because North Carolina has such terrible laws, people leave. And that's the other thing is you were talking about, you still know people there, you're still doing the work there. Um, I don't, my close friendships from North Carolina, uh, that's not fully true, but in terms of queer people, there are very few queer people left that I spent all my time with that are there. They're all in New York, they're in California, they're, they're here. <laughs> like, I, um, I don't know, it's like, it's a weird thing of wanting to look back and uh, think about what does mentorship look like across likeness if I'm not from here, you know? Yeah, no, I think connection to places is really interesting. And I feel like, I think it's powerful, you know what I mean? And I think we're shaped so much by, you know, where we grow up and also what we overcome and, and the choices we make, right? And being like, maybe this is the next step on my path and that's awesome, you know? Um, but I feel like it really is too, like creating space for that growth, right? And just, I don't know, like somebody told me this thing one time when they were just like, you know, the only constant, like the, the true constant is like change. Things are always going to change, right? And it's uncomfortable. And like, it's, it's a weird thing. Like humans don't really like change, I think naturally, but like, it's just always happening, right? Yeah. And so I think a little, like for me personally, it's been like just coming to terms with that and just building awareness around it has, has really allowed me to come to terms with, you know, the fact that, you know, a lot of my friends when I left New Mexico scattered around the country similarly, right. you know what I mean? And so when I go back there, it's a little bit of a different place, but I still have a grounding and connection to it. And it's really important to me. And I will always, you know, care so much about New Mexico, but you know, I've now established roots in Portland too. And so that's different. So I do think that connection to place is powerful. And I think part of it is how we think about reconnecting with the, the changes in that place. Right. And like recognizing the changes. Cause you know, I, there, I know there's a lot of organizing going on in, in North Carolina and yeah. I know there are like places like North Carolina too, that are those battlegrounds are right for national resources and support and other things, you know what I mean? As they should be. Um, because, you know, unlike a Portland where you can get a lot of money to sustain a movement or figure things out, you know, or have a lot of energy, people power, let's say that, yeah. you know, in those places, they, they need more support. And I think anything we can do to continue to support when you have a tie to it, I can understand why it feels like, more close to home, right? Or like you want to find that way to really have that impact. Yeah, and, and, and not even my home, but I'm thinking about Atlanta too. Like they just yeah. had all of those um, voting stations literally, quote, not work. You know, they had mm -hmm. all those people, voting suppression happening right now, Stacey Abrams' prophecy coming to fruition, you know, like yeah. which is, it's fucking sad. And it, it, it's this moment where you're like, I'm sitting here, while I still feel very um, firm in making this quote progressive mayor and city council in Portland adopt a, a larger defunding budget than the one that they've been proposing, I feel firm in that. And mm -hmm. I'm also like, there's fucking states in this country that can't vote. There's like, like voting by mail is still like a touchy subject across the country. And we're 
we take yeah. that for granted. And it's such a weird thing to be in Portland specifically when there is, quote, progressivism, progressive values happening. And that is only in comparison to where it's not. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll tell you the dirty secret about Portland that I learned when I moved here was that, I mean, I moved here because I had done some work here when I was in New Mexico and I would always have fun. Again, love a good dance party, love a good time. I uh, was like, I'm going to go take a break and, and do this thing in Portland. And at that time from the outside, it was like, wow, Portland's doing all these great progressive things and they don't work. They're not working because people are really happy to pass a great thing, but they've never asked the communities who are most impacted by those things if they, what they need. Right. And so the well-meaning white people sort of well-meaning white people and like the talking point of this big thing they did right and they let it go and it never you, the rubber doesn't hit the road and so i would say the work here is happening in a different place right it's in the implementation it's in making sure that we're we're doing it right you know what i mean and part of that is grounding it in community and i think in those other places and and i remember when i moved to, to New portland i never expected to stay here i was going right back to new mexico you know and in my mind it was like well, I'm going to go learn a lot, you know, and I'm going to bring that back and it's going to be great. And I realize the combination of what I know from being from New Mexico and what I know here is really what gives me my own power. You know what I mean? Because I've seen like here, it's like, we need representation in this way. I'm like, I grew up in a place where we had, you know, minority majority, like legislature that was not progressive. It was not doing right by the community. It's not just about that. You know what I mean? There's, there are values and there's accountability and there's the making sure that if you're going to, you know, move something that you see it through and that you make sure that you're grounding and building the leadership of the people most impacted. So my theory of change has really shifted in going from a place like New Mexico to here. And I can imagine like, you know, being from North Carolina and growing up and seeing like really knowing a place and then coming to a place like Portland, there's a juxtaposition there, right? And it's like, what can you learn and harness from that to really, you know, move forward with? Yeah. I am thinking um, what you just said about the kind of like, um, what's the new progressive policy? Like what, what, what's the yeah. new thing that can get us a headline that- can, oh, like, I hate it so much. It's annoying. Yeah. And um, some of that has to do too, I think, with Portland's inability to remain patient. And mm -hmm. like, so there's like what you're talking about too, of like these ideas don't work because they don't come from the community and mm -hmm. the ones that have come from the community get- overturned within a year and some change because yeah. they're like or they give them a program that. they give them a very little bit you know instead of like fundamentally changing the system based on that right and now is the moment i think in the window of opportunity to to do that differently and to go back to what you said at the beginning which is step into this imaginative space like mm -hmm. i am angela davis this week you know angela fucking davis man like a, a, a living wow. icon and legend <laughs> like literal author of the abolitionist movement in some ways, you know, is like, y'all, this is the moment that we are going to seize to lay claim and ending the consequences of slavery. And like to watch gray haired and Angela Davis, like say that to my face it, <laughs> through a phone, you know, yeah, it's, totally. just like, it's like right here. It, it like, it hit me so hard and like, yes, idolatry of any kind is a little bit fruitless. And I love seeing that and hearing that. And like it, um, it's simultaneously empowering and sad that her imagination is 
being kind of seen in some ways now? And like, what does that mean for our imagination? And like, what does that mean for patients? And what does that mean for allowing policies and things to kind of play themselves out for a generation? You know, like allow that room to breathe and you were talking about change earlier. And I think that there's kind of a, there's simultaneously a real thing and a joke within therapy spaces of like adjustment disorder, because like, it's kind of the thing that you can get diagnosed with that uh, 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 insurance will approve. It is a real thing. And it's also this kind of like entry level, like welcome to therapy kind of stuff changes real. Um, But I am just naming that like in my own learning of Portland uh, and in my own learning of like, Uh, kind of combining what you're naming of like, I'm seeing this folk progressivism here and I came from progressivism that's born out of actual like uh, oppression in these other ways. Not actual is the wrong word. Um, More extroverted or more external, explicit oppression. Mm -hmm. I got that word eventually. Um, (laughs) Well, I'll say to that point, like, you know, with um, Angela Davis and I remember seeing her speak and like her talking about abolition and you know, I'm sort of, I mean, I've sort of become this weird, like, policy nerd, right? It's just, like, the trajectory of my life. And so I see, I start to see strategies and, like, here, where are the pressure points? Like, how are we going to do this? I get very, like, tactical, right? And so I get really excited by, like, okay, here's the vision. Here's how we're going to get there. Here are the steps, right? And I remember watching her speak about um, prison abolition one time and just, like, really trying to think out, like, what does that look like? And I will tell you this week of all of the white people discovering like racism in the same week, like <laughs> chaos and wild, right? This has been insane. Cause I, I would say, or I will say that, you know, in Portland, like I mentioned before, I experienced racism here in a different way than I've ever experienced. Do you know what I mean? It's that like the well-meaning white people, like I'm on your side, the othering, like it's, it's really weird. It's very Stepford wivesy. Um, but like, I feel like in seeing that, that shift that's happening where people are talking about decentering their whiteness, not like, Oh, but, but look at, you know, the experience of black people. It's like, yes, but like understand your, how you're complicit in that. Right. And understand like how whiteness shows up for you personally in our systems and in our institution. I feel like people are finally talking about it. Like they get it. Like, I don't think every single person gets it obviously, but the progressive quote unquote progressive white people that I've been working with, right. In politics and, and who, take up these spaces I feel like are getting it and everybody's getting it at the same time and people who are not in politics are getting it and so I do think that's really what it's going to take is really people getting it right and understanding in a real deep moral way why this is important I think that's that's the thing you need to actually see a real structural shift so I do think it'll happen faster than you know Angela Davis saw in her you know experience and and her brilliance you know so many years ago and how she's really carried that through I think you know, the more we can keep pushing, the faster we'll see that change. And I think, you know, the perfect storm of a pandemic plus this, like, you know, everything that was happening with the George Floyd videos and everything, it's just like, I mean, I was trying to figure out like, why did that happen? Right. Yeah. We've been having these conversations. How did that Shawnee all happen? Shawnee was talking about that last week too. Yeah. It's wild. Um, before we kind of exit this segment, do you have any kind of final words, quick nuggets of wisdom that we can kind of take away? Oh, quick nuggets of wisdom. Um, I mean, I just think, you know, again, I'm, I'm inspired every day by this work. And I think a big part of it is when you see people really step into their power and understand that not only is their experience valuable, but like that is their tool for change. You know what I mean? Like 
I do a lot of work with uh, individuals and communities of color and different folks just like who are like, I have this powerful story. I'm not really sure how to use that in these systems. You know what I mean? And it's like, well, let's, let's work through that. Right. And I'm going to demystify the system and that's your tool. And nobody can argue with that tool. Right. And I, I think for young folks who are getting into this, I think getting out of this, this headspace of, I have to go to law school to do this thing, or I have to be an expert, or I have to like know all of the things. Just remembering that the people who are making decisions are not expert in many things. Like oftentimes it's like reminding folks when they're going to talk to people in decision-making roles and in, in positions of power that you know way more about your issue than they do, right? And trusting your experience, trusting your story, um, and keeping that hus hustle mentality and like really turning into a tool for good, I think is really powerful. Hell yeah. I've had, I've had a really intense day, so I apologize if I'm coming off. It's like, ah, The intensity's great. Like, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Being coming intense, off all the Never movies. apologize for being intense. Jesus. A fucking men. Okay, <laughs> let's take a break, friends. We're almost ready to come back again. Okay, friends, it is time to take your meds. Something we do every week, and we are inviting Amanda to join us in taking them this week. Um... What's making you happy? What's making you feel grounded, silly, loved, safe? All of those things. Shawnee, hit me with it. I feel like all those were very positive emotions. And I felt, I felt very loved and safe by making white people uncomfortable last week. So Work, bitch. Yeah, I mean, they probably didn't feel that way, but I don't care. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm still out here making white people uncomfortable, asking the tough questions and trying to get the right answers. Um, you know, I've I've listened to some people and they are still figuring out a way to avoid talking about race about race just in general. Um, yeah. And I I kind of chuckle at it now because it's just like, well, you're gonna have to get comfortable real fast. Like that's just that's what we're living in right now, and it's not gonna go away tomorrow so or at least i'm not gonna let it go away tomorrow so yeah or they won't and history won't remember them well and neither will i <laughs> <laughs> um yeah those are my meds who wants to go next amanda what you got um so i would say i mean this experience Better has been stop. really awesome <laughs> you know i was yeah totally you all are my meds for this week um you know you you'll get that this week uh no it's great you know i was sharing with maddie before like i don't go on to podcasts to talk about, about myself. Usually it's about a very specific thing and said yes. Cause it felt like, you know, this is, this is a moment. Let's just, let's just share and get it out there and have these conversations and see what comes of it. And so really appreciative of it. And also we'll say like, so I'm not a journaler. Like I've never in my life, like had a journal and my partner recently, just because maybe cause we're all cooped in has been like, you should write things down so you sleep better. Right. And it's like, mm. well, I don't know what I, I noticed when I started doing that, I was like writing out work things, you know, it's like, that's not healthy. Mm. Um, so I started like taking a picture each day and like putting it, like just printing it out and like putting it in this notebook and like writing about the picture just to like focus in. And I found this week, so that's how I do that just to like focus my brain into doing it. Yeah. This week when I was just thinking about this conversation was just kind of reflecting a little bit and was writing it down in my journal without a picture and was like, mm. wow this has been lovely. You know, like I, there are things to get out and to do and I don't need a, a prompt to do that necessarily. So thank you for inspiring that um, and for inviting me. I feel really honored. Come through journaling. We love that. And we love you. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, I am. I'm deeply grateful that you've taken the opportunity to share more about yourself in this work because I need you to know that you 
yourself, Amanda, have like had such a positive impact on my life that I cannot imagine what that like full force looks like in the workplace. And I, and that comes from you, you know, like that is like a you centered thing while also we've heard you name that is also community. But, um, um, for me, my meds this week are, I, I tried to think of something specific and honestly, all I can really think about is that I finished this fucking term. So I like, I, the, <laughs> oh no, I like, it was, I did not do well. I <laughs> like, I, we passed, you know, we, we, we took some of those pass fails and I Girl, wrote shitty papers and GPA after you graduate, I promise. No, that's, that's true. That's totally If you make that it is food, true, that matters. <laughs> Yes, that is true. And in COVID, especially, they were like, we're going to let you like, anyway, I took full advantage of that in some ways. And um, there's, there's some thinking that I feel proud of. And there's some uh, like, uh, emotional shift for things through this term that I am proud of. And my school work is not necessarily what I am proud of. I am proud to be done with it. though. <laughs> uh, yeah, I have another class that starts in a week you know summer school is a thing but i am glad that the covid term that's what i'm naming it the covid term is done Yay. So, yeah it feels Exciting. fucking good um alrighty, i think um that we are going to move into some homework um amanda thank you so much for coming by we really appreciate it no thank you for having me and let's go camping soon yes we're doing it i want to come <laughs> all, right. all right we'll see you later friends Yes, Shawnee, you too. We're all doing it. Awesome. Bye. Love you. Bye. Truly a blessing. Uh, Listening to her talk about her work makes me feel um, simultaneously inspired and useless, but I love her very much. (laughs) Same girls over here like, I need to reevaluate my life choices. Um, I haven't read a book in three years. (laughs) Books, what are those? No, I, she brought up, I'm happy she talked about journaling because we're doing it again this week for the homework. Um, And because this is not a moment in time, I refuse to let y'all believe that this is a moment that will pass Mm -hmm. because I have to remind myself that it's a moment that will not pass, that this is a revolution. This is something that um, we need to really lean into. I'm not letting you off the hook. So we're going to journal again this week um, about what you did for the Black community. What did you do for the Black community this week? Um, and then how do you plan to continue supporting anti-racism work and dismantling oppression and racism, just like I had you do last week? Um, because this is a continuous thing. This is not something, like I, I said this last week, but this is not a, I made one donation, racism is solved. I watched The Help, racism is solved. I watched 13th, racism is solved. It's not that. You gotta keep working at it. Um, so I want you guys to keep journaling about it. Um, and I'm not going to let you forget. So. Hell yeah. And for the white people listening, I think it is important to think about, um, it's okay to shut the fuck up. Um, yeah. Uh, there is, um, uh, I know that it's hard sometimes to hear like, why aren't you saying anything? Why aren't you saying anything? Um, I think it's totally okay to publicly acknowledge like, I'm reading X, Y, and Z, and I'm going to take the time to do the internal work Mm -hmm. because there is external work to be done. There are petitions to be signed. There are protests to go to. There is voting to be done. There is challenging to be done. There is talking to your family to be done. And so much of anti-racism work, especially for white people, is internal decolonizing and working working on that. And I think for folks of color too, like that is also 
true in different ways, you know, like working in these ways that systems of oppression have seeped into your heart, you know, like that is like, there's, there's things to be done that are internal and it's okay to shut the fuck up. Yeah. Um, And I, I love to say it, but, um, you don't, I agree with you hundred percent. Like I'll know you're doing the work because you'll just be doing the work. You won't need to talk about doing the work or feel the need to tell everybody you're doing the work you'll just be doing it you'll be too busy doing the work to tell everybody you're doing the work so that's how i'll know and that's how most black people will know so um i agree with maddie a thousand percent like you don't need to say anything and i would question people that are telling you you do need to just constantly be saying are those people doing work? so do the work we'll know we'll feel it we'll see it yeah what does it mean what does it mean to watch the movie and then journal for a couple of weeks? What does it mean to read the book and then journal? What does it mean to, yeah, not do what I'm doing and shut the fuck up. Um, <laughs> I, I want to touch, uh, before we left, I forgot that so many folks wrote in this week telling us what meds that they were taking. And I, um, even though we've moved on from the segment, I just really wanted to give a quick shout out to the plethora of, I'm picking some that I'm seeing here, plethora. but... Um, someone named re-engaging with the language of letting go and other codependency readings. Um, oh, Bria, she said face masks, a glass or three of wine and Catronata. Um, spending time with my close friends and family in Minneapolis, skateboarding, protesting, LSD work. Um, going out of town and to be in nature and to get a doctor's appointment to get on actual antidepressants. Go girl, we love you. Weed baby. Uh, Mm -hmm. weekend on the coast, cooking comfort foods, chili and cornbread waffles. I want a fucking cornbread waffle. Binging 90 Day Fiance, self-love. Oh, and reconnecting with an aunt and re... Touching on some childhood stories. That is... I chuckled at aunt because for some reason I... (laughs) Aunt? Right. But I... Today, there was a trail of ants in my apartment and I got... (laughs) <laughs> mad about it, but then was like, I'm not going to kill them because they're not doing anything, just living their lives. Um, mm. But you said aunt for some reason. I was just like, oh, somebody made friends with like an aunt. And I'm like, oh, no, they, they're they Do you say aunt or do you say auntie or auntie? I say auntie, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I honestly, whenever I read the word, my brain says aunt, aunt. It says both because I grew up saying aunt and then I, I, I in my adulthood, I'm like, I think most everyone says aunt. And I like, so I like, I say both literally every time I read it. But English is weird. Yes. Thank you everyone for writing in. We really appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, I don't think any of y'all write to us on Gmail or leave us a voicemail, but keep sending us stuff in the DMs. We love That's it. That's not true. We just did a whole episode about someone who left us a voicemail. <laughs> okay. But yeah, leave, leave us voicemails. Well, listen, if you want to do it, I want you to do it. <laughs> Please do. Share yeah. your experience. Um, doing the homework, what meds you're taking, whatever the hell else you want to let us know. Um, you can send that to qptpodcast at gmail.com or you can leave us a voicemail at 971-220-8874. We want to hear from you. Yes. Check us out on QBT Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And check out the link tree there for recommendations and resources. We update it every week for each episode. Don't forget to subscribe and share, friends. And thank you to Marquis and Shanti Darling for letting us use their music. Big, big thank you to Ali Kiltz for helping us with editing. Listen to her podcast, Trace Material, about the history and future of hemp. Ali's moving to LA. She's going to be near us soon. Ah, you know, Ali's my best friend now. Yes. Love you. Bye, 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 bye. <laughs>
Mm. Trying to talk slick. All up in my ear and shit. <laughs>